Hey, this is Filiano with the Tech After Five podcast, and I am here today with friends to talk about our rules for living. Here's the deal. I mean, you get to be my age anyway, and you realize that, oh my gosh, I've, I've gathered a few things that really work for me, and we would love to know the things that work for you. But what are the rules that we use just as we go day to day? What are the things that we can use to live by, right? And we get pulled in a whole bunch of directions, and we just need some guidance on those ideas. And since this is the Tech After Five podcast where we help you, the tech professional, live better and do your job or build your business in the way that you want to build it, you know, a happy technical life, we're here to help you. We thought we'd talk about some of those rules. And I brought together my friends. I've got Carol Hamilton here. Hello, Phil. Hi, Scott. <laughs> Hi, Carol. <laughs> Look at that. This is it. I just start a little chain and I go from Carol. Carol goes to Scott and we've got everybody on the show. Excellent. Thank you, friends. Um, I, you know, part of this was, uh, this came from a bunch of different places, but this, this set of uh, conversations started with a thing of talking about, um, you know, Jefferson's 10 rules for daily life. Someone had sent me that and they said, well, this is Jefferson's rules. And I thought, well, I don't know if all 10 of these actually speak to me, but I really do like the idea of having a few sort of guiding principles. So I thought what we'd do is we might start and talk about a couple of those, if any of those made sense to us. Then talk about other places that we go and get them because I've got some ideas of that on my own. And, uh, and, and then I think there's some cross things. I think we just kind of have to riff about just a little bit because I think people have some concerns. So Scott, first off, um, before I even did this, and by the way, this is all based on a uh, an email that I sent after the Tech After Five mailing list. And I point that out because it is possible that we have some fabulous listeners who do not get the mailing from Phil. <laughs> now, there are a lot of people on that list, but you, my friend, may not be on the list. But if you go to the Tech After Five website, ta5.com, you could get on the list and you will get mostly stuff reminding you to come to the events, but occasional wisdom. I'm not saying it's high grade stuff, but it's kind of wisdom, the kinds of things that we would like you to be thinking about. So go there and sign up for that. Now, having gotten that bit of business out of the way, that relentless self-promotion on my part, um, we start out with the idea saying, first off, and I love this, I put this quote at the beginning, I was going to Jefferson, but I started with a quote from Seneca, associate with people who are likely to improve you. I love this quote from Seneca, and that's why I'm sitting here today with Scott and Carol, because these are people that are likely to challenge me to be a better version of myself. And I like that idea just to get started with. What do you think about that, Scott? Well, I think that's a good idea. First, I would like to say that uh, occasional wisdom should be the name of your autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny because I was going to ask you that occasional wisdom. I like that. I, I will uh, scratch out everyone is entitled to my opinion as the title <laughs> of my previous working title and go to occasional wisdom. Occasional Unex wisdom. Yeah. off story. All right. We'll put that in the book. Could be a subtitle, though. It could be nice. Occasional yeah. wisdom. Everyone is entitled. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah, Look no, but I like I, this idea of having yeah. uh, rules for living. Uh, you know, I think we've got rules for ourselves to try to keep our heads right. And we've got rules for, you know, businesses and uh, people that are trying to get a thing done. Um, 
And we have a lot of those that we kind of bat back and forth over time. And people who've listened to us or come to masterminds will recognize a lot of them, things we say a lot or, or post a lot. Yeah. But uh, I think it's very useful. It's useful to take, you know, I probably everybody has go-to sayings that they say all the time, that they really believe, that help them navigate life. That's a good idea to take them, you know, take some time, make, maybe make a list somewhere. And as you recognize one, throw it in there and refer to it from time to time. Yeah. So let me say in that, right, that the fact of the matter is we all have rules and thoughts that we live by. Some of them are simply unspoken, right? And worse yet, some of them serve us and some do not. And we want to, we're focusing on the ones that actually serve us to being that better version of ourselves, right? So, you know, I started with this idea, associate with people who are likely to improve you. And there's a bunch of versions of that. That's the Seneca version. Epictetus has one as well. And But the whole idea is, first off, man, I, sh- I think a great rule to live by is to hang out with cats that help me be a better version of myself. Yeah. And there's the saying that go, that's the opposite side of the same coin, right? Like lie down with dogs, get up with fleas, uh, sayings like that, which are basically, they're saying the same thing, right? If you hang out with this kind of people, you're going to get this kind of result. You hang out with this kind of people, you're going to get that kind of result. Right. So uh, the, again, the, so a good rule, just to start off with, we like this one here. This was a Seneca thing on the begin with. I like that idea. Um, let's take that then and sort of roll that into, you know, first thing we said is we think there ought to be rules. We think that you ought to, we think there's some value in the exercise of writing them down. And maybe this is a part where I get to pivot into Carol for a little bit, because I think she thinks along this line for journaling and that kind of stuff. But I think that, you know, we talk about this idea, we have rules that serve us and rules that don't serve us. And that if there are limitations, things in our lives that we aren't getting done, but we think we should, or we think we want to, and we don't understand why we are stuck pulling some of those thoughts out of our head that kind of keeping us from getting things done is also a useful exercise so that we can turn them into a different thought, a different rule, something that does move us forward. Carol, call, call nonsense on that if you'd like. Well, I'm a really big fan in introspection and in, in exploring your life. And we just had this conversation recently about if um, I came from a place where I had a very different impression of how money operates in the world and in your life and what it can and can't do for you. And if you keep having those kinds of conversations with the exact same people, you're probably going to stay in the exact same path you've always been in. And so I found that it, in that conversation, we were talking about how do we expose ourselves to a, a people with different impressions. And sometimes it's just about expanding your networking. Sometimes it's about approaching the conversation differently. But I, I really like the idea that you find other people to have the conversation with and typically start with somebody who's doing something or has accomplished something that you want to do or accomplish so that you can say, you've, you've, you've already paved that path for me. I come back, I probably have fewer rules because I'm not really a rules-minded person. But when I, when you bring that word into it, then I start thinking about values and where are my values or what are the mottos or what's the – and you could even take it to something as simplistic as what would be your bumper sticker. And and that could be necessarily a rule that you, quote, unquote, live by if if that's it. And is it time to change the bumper sticker? And that's where I think the the journaling comes in really handy. 
That is exactly on spot, right? I mean, and that to me feels like we're right on mission here, right? We are talking about the considered life, you know, and I think that's Nietzsche. But the idea is that if we do not sit down and consider what the rules are we are operating by, we kind of get into a rut. It's super easy to get in the rut and it's going to take us where it's always been taking us, but we've never even thought about that. And wait, we might be unhappily going along with the wrong rules. It's just so easy to do because those rules come to us from a bunch of other places. Scott? One of the reasons I like writing them down and putting them somewhere where you can find them is that in moments of introspection and uh, calm it's maybe easier to remember these rules that you have or these aphorisms that you live by. But in moments of stress, depression, uncertainty, and doubt, it can be almost impossible to wrench your brain away from its trauma and remember these uh, rules that you have. So it can be very helpful. Um, You know, we talked in one podcast, I think, about having a list of things that you can do to de-stress your life. You can also have this sort of list of things I believe um, that you can go to in times of stress and trauma to say, okay, here's one that helps me. Uh, And it reminds me how to get back to a good spot. Right. No. And I, and so one of the reasons we want you to think about these and you think about those rules to kind of get your head back in the right place, but is this to get the entire ship and keep it on course is having some rules to live by. So you can say, you know what, I can comfortably say no to that because I am saying yes to this, which is a, a guiding principle. And I get it. I mean, thank you, Carol, for being pushing back against rules, right? But there are guiding principles. It might be a value, but it, it's a thing that says, this is what's important to me. And I think I should be thinking about that when I make some of the decisions that I make. Um, so what, let's talk about the rules that I started with. I mean, and again, I'm not, th- this is not authoritative. It was a, it's a jumping off point, right? But Jefferson had 10 rules for daily life. And I think some of those might actually be things that we would carry forward with us, right? Number one, never put off till tomorrow what you can do today. I mean, that's a hard one to get done. He wouldn't have written it down if he wasn't having trouble with it. <laughs> but uh, I, mean, I mean, it's a manana, baby. I observed that rule in the breach. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great. Um, I can't even use. I can't even say it. It just doesn't work in my world. But it's such a good idea. <laughs> it's a great idea. I love, I love this idea. for other people. I love yeah, this idea. I, I for think other that people. would be really successful for other people. It's just a lot of pressure. <laughs> but it is true. I I think there is that point where you go. Am I putting something off that's going to be equally miserable tomorrow as it is today? Then perhaps today is the moment to get it over with, which yeah. will then I, I'm actually benefiting my future me. And maybe there's some, you know, there is I, I think it's a totally valid way to live. I, I just uh, that particular one, yeah. I wouldn't say is a high success rate for me. Yeah. Yeah. There's a certain amount of suffering that's going to be involved in doing this thing. But by delaying <laughs> it, I'm just increasing the suffering because it's going to have it's going to be just as bad when I do it as it would today. Yeah. But I'm, I'm going to dread doing it for a long time while I put it off. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. That is, that is self-care of your future self, just to it get is. that crap done today. 
It is. Just get it out of the way. Absolutely. Anyway, I like that. I think, you know, it's a thing we all struggle with. We all know, but we also understand there's real benefit from getting from, you know, what Scott's talking about, right, is getting rid of the dread component and just getting the thing done. And I mean, we all know that, right, that most of the time we do the thing, we go, oh my God, that wasn't nearly as bad as I yes. thought it was going to be. I just, over. yeah, I just, <laughs> and the amount time. of time that went into thinking about how bad it's going to be. Right. Yes. I mean, that's one of those where you go, oh my God, the, the emotional benefit of just doing the thing would have been so great. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's a but, great, it's a really good idea. Yeah. Yeah, I like. Yes. I love the idea you brought up about the future self, though. That's this is a great technique in a lot of ways. This idea of the future self. When Claire Pfeiffer was young, uh, I used this on her all the time. She would come to me and say, "Dad, I want to do this," and it would be something you know that I didn't want her to do, and I would tell her no, and she'd be so mad at me. I really want this to happen, Dad. Why don't you let me do it? And I would say, 13 year old Claire wants me to let you do it." But 25-year-old Claire told me, I better not. She doesn't <laughs> want to tell 25-year-old Claire would be really mad at me. Yeah. I, so being Ooh, 25 year old Claire, we're going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> like I that. like that a lot. Um, and I, I can't, I'm not going to get the words right, but Daniel Kahneman, Thinking Fast and Slow, right? He talks, it's something like the experiencing self and the reflecting self. And so there's the you that's in this moment doing this thing. And then there's the you that's telling you the story about what happened when you did it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, bringing those two into alignment is kind of that thing that we're trying to get done here, right? It's kind of it's like, nah, let's just remember that when I'm up here, it's going to look different. So let's just go ahead and say, let's go ahead and appease the reflecting self. Now the 25 year old Claire, the future me, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Did any, I mean, again, I wasn't trying to go over all these 10 rules, but I thought there might be a couple that just kind of jumped out at you. Um, You the, The second one is something that we deal with in business constantly as I'm trying to help entrepreneurs move to a, um, a more professional system where, you know, they're at the top and they have people underneath them that have delegated authority instead of you being in the middle and everybody's a spoke around you and you're involved in everything. Right. You, st- you, one of the big growing pains there is what Brett Mingo likes to call upward delegation, right? right? Constantly it's on my plate, but I'm going to push it up onto your plate. Right. Mm. And the idea is how do you train those people in the second level or the third level or wherever they are to before you go up and say, Hey, uh, you know, Brett, answer this question for me. Don't upward delegate your work. Make sure you've done everything you can to figure out the answer before you delegate it upward to someone else just to get it off your plate. Right. Yeah. Right. So before we get too far, I mean, because that's all good explanation, but we didn't actually say what the aphorism was. It's never trouble another for what you can do yourself. That was Jefferson's second rule in his 10 rules for daily. Second rule. And I think in a business context, that's great advice, especially if the other you're going to trouble is your boss. (laughs) Right. Boy, I can't, I can't support that more, Scott. I got to tell you, one of the biggest complaints I hear from senior leaders, and this is a generational piece too, is 
when I was young, right back in the day, in my day, you just figured it out for yourself. And now it seems like the generations behind us just ask. They don't they don't even open a book or look in Google. Right. They just come up and ask all the time. Right. And I, I and it was a consistent piece around different globe, around different parts of the globe, different companies. So I think there's a there's a really big moment in there that says, can you be independent without getting to the point of driving yourself crazy and beating your head against a well, that isn't it. But have you even tried to answer the question before you ask it? Yeah. And that's that's part of the trick, right? How do I encourage people to exhaust their own possibilities first and then ask without yes. saying, I never want them to ask? Because there are some questions you do need to ask. Right. right. How do you tell the difference? Well, mostly it's, did you exhaust your resources? Did you actually you know, did you Google it? <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, when they come back and say, well, what have you tried? Right. There should be an answer other I, than, no, well, I, I, I stood up and you, came to you. When you ask the question, you have to give the back, you know, here's the question and here's what I've already done and the result, right? So that, but yeah. anyway, it's an interesting thing. And as a result of this, you know, um, we talk about these aphorisms or sayings we use all the time. Brett has one and uh, and I love it. And it is, Sometimes it does hurt to ask. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's exactly right. (laughs) Well, and I will say, having been in in training for a decade, sometimes there are dumb questions. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I was trying to figure out how to work that into the conversation. (laughs) Thank you, Carol. I I have heard people say there are no stupid questions, only stupid people. (laughs) Right. So that's a, that's a thing, right? So figuring those components out. So there's a couple in here. I think Carol picked out one that she thought was uh, one that stood out for her. I think we should hit that before I move on. Yeah. So one of my favorites on this, and this popped right out of the email for me, was when angry count 10 before you speak, if very angry, 100. And we've been having a pretty high test week around here just because of the we had a hurricane come through and we had a we had lost our internet and everybody has to keep working and then we tried to go to hotels and they had problems and it's just been one of those where you're kind of riding the edge of uh, you know um, what is my my husband's friend calls it the donkey on the edge and you just feel like at any given moment it's over and um, this was this was one of those things where you sit there going. You have to just keep coming back and saying, I am so annoyed right now. I could really just take people out from one end to the other. And this is temporary. So let me just talk myself through this moment because this is a temporary state. We're not talking about a life without internet and we're not talking about losing jobs here. We're just talking about some really, uh, a couple of rough days in a row. And so, you know, just count a little bit or go outside and breathe. And thank you for having a beautiful weather for us to do that. And it's just finding alternatives other than truly sharing every thought in your head, which is probably not productive. Yeah. I think at some point we're going to do a 10-part series on anger, right? Just in mitigating and how we handle anger. I mean, because, and the point of it being, as he put there, as you pointed out in your thing, is it's super easy to just make the problem much, much worse by expressing your anger. And the fact is, you know, again, we're back to Epictetus, but there's, it's not things, it's what we say about them, right? That make us upset. I mean, so it's that story we tell ourselves. And what's worse is, is there's the story we tell ourselves, and then we start letting it come out of our mouth to everybody around us. And right. that's where it goes off the rails, because now we've scared all the people around us. So just dealing with the anger bit, 
by counting to 10. It's that moment of reflection. And let me say, I'm just going to tell you as someone who is a practitioner in this space, that if, uh, if you move from being angry and venting it to people around you to taking that moment of quiet, now the people who know you best, they're going to look at you and go, you're angry. And you can say, I might be, but that's my problem. And I will solve that. But I want to, I'm trying not to make it your problem as well. Right. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So I think there's lots to be done in that space. This is a, certainly a, a, a CBT thing as well, right? That's a principle that we have in there is how do we mitigate this anger? But that is just kind of let it pass. And then how do we not get it. dragged into somebody else's anger? We don't want to get dragged into someone else's anger. And we certainly do not want to create a little tornado around ourselves. And again, you know, I say, I said fear, because that's really what's happening right there. Right. If I'm angry, then I make, and I get to other people and they act angry. But the reason they act angry is it's a defense against your anger, because that's what they're up to. Everyone's just protecting their space and their identity in this. And we don't want to get into all of that bit. But that point is, this is where this kind of falls apart. It is super useful to use Jefferson's 10th rule. When you're angry, say nothing. Count to 10. If you're really angry, count to 100. That's great. Yeah. Especially I used to tell, you know, another one I used to tell my kids, and I think this comes from the Bible, but it was a, uh, someone who can't control their emotions is like a city without walls, subject to the depredations of your enemies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the idea is like you're a, little, you're a city, but you don't have any walls and other people would should just come in like a horde and just ride into your city and burn your hut down. Whereas if you have walls, you can control it. They can ride around the outside. You just stand at the wall, say, yep. you know, nice try, but you know, I'm, I'm good. And, uh, you know, I like that. That visual works really well for me. I don't know how much my kids appreciate it. Well, right. I actually like that because I think that addresses the powerlessness because if I was going to suggest one word that has come out of this summer, it's been powerlessness. You can't, you know, you're quarantined. You're there's there's this thing that's going around that we don't know much about, and there's these circumstances. There's you know within the the arguments um, going on around Black Lives Matters. There's an element of powerlessness in that, and I think that's feeding that rage that we're all talking about. And so, where do you get your power back? Well, it starts with your own walls. Right. right. That's and where it starts. I get to decide if I'm happy or mad or sad. Right. You don't get to decide that. Right. If I don't have walls, then at then any I'm given incredibly time, vulnerable. Yeah. Seeding responsibility for my emotions to the world. Right. Right. Super powerful ideas. Um, and we'll, I think we can get into that space as well. But I, yeah. there's a bunch of great ideas and how we keep that citadel, our walled city, keep the walls up. We're going to come back to that. I think that's super powerful. It shows up not just in personal, but many professional relationships, right? I mean, I've seen stuff just explode in a corporate environment. It was like, oh my gosh, if people just controlled their tempers, we would get to an answer. Now we have to deal with that outrage before we get to the next piece. And this is just over accounting issues, right? Holy yeah. cow. I mean, whoa, it's just debits yes. and credits. They can't kill us and eat yes. us. <laughs> but they can lead to death. <laughs> yeah. So uh, just a quick thing in here. I, I mean, I, I want to go too deep, um, but I'm kind of curious about your thoughts on this component. It doesn't, it seems like it, even when I posted this the very first time, 
there is somebody who had something to say about Thomas Jefferson and the way he lived his life and whether this was real and whether he was as noble a character as we would like to think and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, what's a framework that we're going to use to deal with that? Yeah, I mean, I, that's a species of ad hominem attack, right? Where you you don't engage with the material, you engage with the author. It's a, it's a rhetorical fallacy. It's a logical fallacy. Thomas Jefferson may have been a horrible person. And we can have a discussion at some point, if somebody wants to, on the history of Thomas Jefferson, whether he was a horrible person and in what ways he was a horrible person. But that doesn't really engage with the material as presented. The material as presented is, are these 10 ideas good ideas? And at the end of the day, an idea may, it's a good idea or a bad idea on its own merit, regardless of the author. Right. There are probably many other people who've said things that are very similar to these 10 things, right? I mean, Thomas Jefferson may have been a terrible person, but he did uh, write the um, Declaration of the Rights of Man and Citizen, and that's an important document, Right. And the, right. fact, and, and the ideas in the Declaration of the Rights of Man and Citizen are not uh, changed by who wrote it. So it's too complete. It's too, in other words, it's two separate conversations. And the, 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 this attacking the author is a means of shifting to a different conversation. Both conversations are valid, but we're having this conversation right now. Yeah. The words are no less powerful because they're from somebody you don't agree with as a lifestyle. So one of my rules has always been I would listen to a goat if it was great advice. And and I I think more about the, the context of what they're the, the concept of what they're saying rather than the, the who it is, depending on what advice it is. If I'm listening to somebody, if he's telling me how to be a perfectly happy and wonderful person in a high quality, productive life, then we need to go find out if that's true for him and if that's something I right. agree with. But somebody says something like take uh, take things always by their smooth handle. And I I don't even associate that with how he lived his life. I associate that with all of the other ideas that brings up. So I agree with you, Scott. I don't yeah, I mean, I can say never put off till tomorrow what you can do today. And the right. fact that I don't do that does not mean it's not good advice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we so don't have saying, to ex- but you investigate don't do that. you. It's like, okay, <laughs> you're right. I don't always do that. Still good advice. One might want to consider it. I say, you know, lie down with dogs, get up with fleas. People could certainly look into my past and say, boy, you have really not followed that aphorism at all. <laughs> Where were say, you last night? <laughs> yeah. This and is how, I've gotten fleas. This is how I know it's true. <laughs> right. One of my long-term social experiments. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I've dedicated my life to, to proving that this is true. Uh, as, you know, talk about people having different aphorisms. One of Ralph Gleaton's famous sayings that anybody who knows and well knows is he who sets a bad example also serves a useful purpose. Mm, nice. Well, I was, I was so afraid of where you were headed with that when you used Ralph's name, I thought <laughs> there are some aphorisms that are really good that Ralph uses that we can't say in a family setting. <clears throat> Little worried about that. More happy um, hour fodder. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, that's all good stuff. Okay. So, um, 
there are good rules out there. We got to pick. We need to pick those for ourselves. And we're not giving you a lots of guidance on this. We're just saying the the idea that we're trying to present here is that there are places and knowing what those rules are are useful to you. Mm-hmm. And putting a few of them down could be useful because that gives you something to go back and reflect on. Um, sources for these beyond Jefferson's 10 rules. Um, you know, I, of course, here, we're going to, we mentioned lots of Stoic philosophers. And there's lots of opportunity there, right? I mean, you could use the Pythagorean verses for all I know. Some of those are a little weird and outdated, but it might be that. Certainly, some folks would like to think that they uh, live by the Ten Commandments. That's a set of rules that people adopt for themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And there are other just great sources of wisdom. <laughs> The book Dune, I Will Not Fear. Fear is the mind killer. I mean, it is a great line, and you can carry that forward with you if you want. Um, kind of some places, other places we might look. I'm kind of curious where you two might go for inspiration. Carol, or do you have any places that just work for you? You know, I'm just a huge fan of of quotes. And because I was frequently putting together programs, I like inspiring quotes. So I remember, and this has started early for me, when I was a kid, I heard the line, um, a ship in a harbor is safe, but that's not why ships are built. And I put it on, I was taking a, an art course and I put it on the stationery that we were making. And I would say that is probably tattooed on my soul, that that particular one about reminding me to take risks, reminding me that that's, that I am a ship and I am happiest when I'm out of the harbor, no matter how settled in I try to get. But um, I think you can literally Google quotes and put any topic in, whether it's leadership or anything like that, and find something that inspires you. And then I really like sharing those in some way, because I think they inspire others. And that's where you probably have to be a little bit more cautious to to Scott's um, former point about is it, you know, is it somebody bad who said that if, you know, if, if so-and-so said something really bad, then you may not want to use their quote because it ends up getting in the way of the words. But I think there's some beautiful things. Maya Angelou with um, people will never forget how you made them feel. And all. It's great. Uh, these are magnificent to me, life guiding, guiding guidance and, uh, so Don't tell me she ran point. a puppy mill or something like that, right? Because I always liked that quote. I haven't done it a bunch of research on this, so I have. Yeah, I have absolutely no associ- negative association okay, with her at all. And I'm happy. You know, I would use her. I would put it on yeah. in the front of my house if needed. Yeah, I think it's a wonderful quote. Yeah, that's funny. By the way, that you should mention. I don't know if funny is the right word, but like a lot of times when I find a quote and someone posts it, and I'll go. That is a neat quote, but I don't know who that person is. And then I have to go to look and see if they were actually like a knucklehead, yeah, right? I do like, too. Oh, she's like, is that someone yeah. I would trust? And then the other thing that happens is I saw there's a great quote that's out there and someone says, and it, it's the awesome quote. I'm not going to repeat it because I don't want this to be in the world that way. And then it says Seneca below it. Well, then I do the research. Seneca never said anything like that. And it was from Katniss of the Hunger Games, right? <laughs> so I was like, you don't understand the authoritative weight of those two sources yes. is very different in my head. Right. right. Yeah. Still doesn't make it a bad quote or a bad right. idea, right? Well, it's, it's a great not. quote, but I'm not going to quote Katniss of the Hunger Games. I'm just not no, but, that cat. And right. isn't that a bummer? The great words, like if you say Dune, right? Um, that you were just... Yeah. Oh, a cat, yeah. a noble this is work. A fictional character, not a, not a, not a historical leader. And yeah. yet, 
the words are the words, but I hear but you're you. Not gonna, you're not going to quote the fictional character, but you might quote Frank Herbert from Dune. Right, right. Um, I think fictional works are a great source of uh, ideas. One of the Phil and I's favorite is Weird Bid from uh, Bernard Cornwell's uh, series about Uhtred of Bebenberg. Um, you know, the fates will have their way or fate is inexorable, however you want to translate it. But, uh, you know, this is a great idea that reading it in that novel and having it explained really meant something to me. And I say it all the time. And uh, so I, I think, think he was actually quoting a poem, though. I think that he, he didn't That's make that originally, up. It's originally from an Anglo-Saxon poem, I think, called right. The Wanderer. Yes. Uh, but um, nonetheless, I encountered it through the fiction, and I think fiction, like like the quote from Dune, I think that can be a great source of ideas that you can – because what we're really looking for is an idea that means something to you and helps you deal with life put into a pithy aphorism that's easy to remember and easy to remind you of the deeper idea behind it. And fiction writers are great at writing. So they can take ideas and wordsmith them very nicely into pithy little sayings that help you remember the bigger idea. So I think it's a perfectly valid source. Some of these, the source is just myself. Uh, there's one I say all the time that I got major pushback from one of our friends on, but uh, actions reveal priorities. <laughs> I love this saying, I made it up. I made it up based on my own experience. Maybe I heard similar things other places, but I don't know where, but I love it. And I say this to myself at least weekly. And for me, it, it, it encompasses two ideas. I say actions reveal priorities to myself to keep me from lying to myself about what I'm really about. Right. right? If I say, well, it's important to me. I get this done. But then I look and I haven't done it. I've done all these other things instead. Well, actions reveal priorities. I must not really think that's important. And then I do it for other people. When people tell me, hey, you know, from a personal context or a business context, this is what our goal is. This is what's important to me. This is what, it, and then I look, I look at their actions and I'm like, that's either the lie you're telling me or it's the lie you're telling yourself. But the fact is right. your actions reveal your priorities are different than what you say. And that can be very helpful when you're trying to help a business do strategic planning, for example. They may have a, an idea of what their business is all about and where they're headed that's completely at odds with their actions. So either they need to change their actions or they need to be more honest with themselves about their priorities. So that's a good one. And then fiction's a good place. Religious writings can be a good place. Like Phil said, the Bible's full of good ideas, whether you're um, a Christian or a Jew or not, there are still a lot, there's still a lot of good advice in there in the Proverbs and other places. Um, other religions have great texts that have great uh, sayings, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto yourself, things like that. Um yeah, I think there are lots of places to grab good rules, and we want to encourage you that. So I think this is really a prescription for someone who might feel that they're unanchored in uncertain times. What are their anchoring beliefs? How can yeah. I find? And and the thing is, you, I mean, 
you know, provided you can read and write, you probably have anchoring beliefs. You just don't even know what they are yet. And exposing those is useful to you and replacing them might even be more useful to you. I mean, if you feel, again, unanchored, if you feel like I'm uncertain or I'm unhappy in the moment where I am, finding a place to find good anchoring beliefs is going to be useful to you. And, you know, we're, I think we're going to go explore some more of those. But this today was really about the idea that if you feel uncertain in uncertain times, maybe you need something to kind of get you nailed down, right? And we love the ideas of wisdom, courage, temperance, and justice. But whatever that belief system is for you that gets you anchored into being a good person, being effective, being happy at what you do, we think it is within your power and useful to be content in whatever, you know, failing some horrible thing in your life, right? Failing that, you should be able to move forward, right? Right. Your maxims for living. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, I, I mean, I, it is more than just a platitude. It's, but there are some really great aphorisms out there, but there are things out there that you can use again to kind of plant yourself and it's okay. You might change them as your life progresses through its stages. We're going to give you permission to do all of that. You know, the more I know, I might change how I feel about things in the world. That's okay too. But we would just want you to have something and we're encouraging you to go out and find some place. And uh, we're going to give you some ideas about that. I think in the coming weeks. Yeah, I just see, I, when I hear you talking about that, I go back to Scott's piece about building your walls. And I just think it's really important to go out and see what the, what's written on your walls. And do you yeah. want to, you know, change them, wash them off, put something new on, but, right. but keep reassuring yourself that you have them so that you don't end up getting shoved about by the whimsy of whatever it is that's next for us as a yeah. society, what's next for us as a disease, whatever these pieces are outside of us, you just don't end up being quite so vulnerable. And you don't have to hide behind walls. You could stand on the wall and shoot a crossbow at people. Absolutely. You, know, you can be powerful behind your walls, but yeah. you don't have the walls. You're in deep trouble. Yeah. Yeah. You're pretty vulnerable. Yeah, Super. All right. This is where we're headed. I'm trying to give you some framework for what moving forward for yourself, whatever that may be. If you have rules that you really like that you think we ought to be thinking about, why don't you send them to us? Because we're going to be talking about some frameworks coming up. We'll talk about some of those bits. Um, Carol Hamilton, remind people of what you are doing in the world and how they find you. Well, I am all in on diversity and inclusion, and you can find me at hamiltonthinktank.com. You can also find me at Carol Hamilton Live on LinkedIn. Super. Scott Pfeiffer, what good are you doing? Well, I help uh, tech entrepreneurs with growing tech companies to do strategic planning and build better teams. And uh, you can find me at uh, Scott Pfeiffer on LinkedIn. Uh, my company is Strategy Business Consulting, and uh, you can email me at strategybusinessconsulting at gmail.com if you so choose. Should you care to send me, send love letters to this address. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And uh, thank you for being with us. Of course, I'm Phil Yanov. My job here is to invite you to join us at one of our live 
although on Zoom, events at techafter5.com. We are fast approaching our 600th event, and we would love to have you be part of that party. Um, Our job, again, connect you to good ideas, connect you to good people so that you can be what you would like to be. Uh, Join us at techafter5.com, and I look forward to seeing you at one of our upcoming events. Mm -hmm.